Um, if you're lucky, she'll kill me before I get through the opening of the sermon, and <laughs> it'll be lunchtime. Um, last night, I, I went to bed relatively early, and I, 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 had, a, I had a crazy dream, um, and I woke up at about 2, 2.30, right? And, and it was one of those times you wake up and your eyes open, and there ain't no going back to sleep. Have you guys, does this ever, ever happen to any of y'all? And, and you're kind of watching the clock, and you're thinking, I got something pretty important to do in the morning, and you just can't get back to sleep. Um, and I, I'm laying there thinking, man, I, I really got to sleep. And after about, you know, 30, 40 minutes, I, I spent some time praying and finally I gave up and I, I started reading and, and I, I, then I went from reading to getting on the internet and then it was all over until I think I managed to get back to sleep at 6.30 ish. Um, and, and, and in my reading, I, I started out reading about, about difficulty in life and then I read about physics for about an hour, which, I thought that had put me to sleep, to be honest with you, but um, no luck. And, and, and uh, one of the things I read about, um, and I talked about it in Sunday school this morning, so those of you who are in Sunday school, you got a five-minute nap coming, um, <laughs> is, is the anthropic principle. That's a weird word, right, anthropic. Um, what the anthropic principle is, is um, in the 1970s, this group of folks figured out that the way that the universe, the whole universe, is set up... Um, is is ruled by all of these constants, right? And it's so exact um, that it has to be that way for people to exist. And and to explain this, um, like like one of the things that astrophysicists have figured out is the universe expands, right? And it's constantly expanding, and it expands at the same rate everywhere, right? And that is a constant. That's a number that never changes. Um, and the speed of light is a particular speed, right? Einstein figured that out, probably. Um, and <laughs> and what do I know about physics? I got a degree in philosophy. I mean, come on. Um, but, but the speed of light is a constant, and it never, ever, ever changes, right? Um, if it were to change slightly, it would alter the universe in such a way as to where people could not exist, um, I, re- I read, as I was reading last night, I read this analogy, and it was, the argument was like, if, if God was like an engineer, um, in, ad- in addition to being kind of boring to listen to talk, um, he might have a control room, right? And, and in this control room, if he had a big, big panel, think like 1960s sci-fi movies, with all lights and dials and everything else, and like just hundreds and hundreds of them um, that control different qualities of the universe, Right? Everybody with me? Wow, that wasn't a good response. <laughs> um, if you were to walk into there, like sneak in while, while the engineer is off getting coffee, walk in and just with your finger tap one of the dials, right? And we'll say that dial is the expansion of the universe, how quickly the universe is expanding, right? And you were to change it one one millionth of a percentage point, right? Like just tap it. Um, human life could not exist. In fact, no life could exist in the universe. Um, In the 1970s, they figured out that the universe is so finely tuned that anything changes and life ceases to exist. It's almost like there was a design. Like, Like God, saying it, right? Like God sat down and set up everything to make us happen. Um... 
And, and this is, you know, like, like there are atheist folks who come along and say, well, that's just random chance. And there are other folks like me, I would say, you know, if the Mars rover, you guys saw this on TV, the Mars rover, if it had landed and found a 57 Chevy on Mars, you wouldn't be able to back up and say, oh, that's a natural phenomenon. Look at that rock. It looks like a 57 Chevy with rubber tires. Um, you, you, you wouldn't be able to argue that as random chance. It's just design, right? Like if things work a certain way, there's a pretty good chance it was designed. Um, the reason I'm starting with this is um, the degree of our dependence on God is so much that whether we acknowledge it or not, it's there. Like our very breathing, our getting up in the morning, our waking up at 2.30 in the morning to read about physics on the internet is so dependent on God that I don't even know it's happening. Um, God sustains every element of everything that is us in such a way as to where we don't even notice it. It's so complete. Um, I, I, I would liken it a little bit at, at about four o'clock in the morning every day, Abigail wakes up. Anybody ever had a small child? You know, this is true. Um, and I pretend to be asleep. And my, and my wife gets out of bed and goes downstairs and gets her and brings her back up and puts her on the bed. And she immediately crawls over and curls up in my, in my, the crook of my arm, right? And, and then I, you know, I sit there with Abby until the next morning and Abby's asleep. And I don't think she's even aware that she's in my arm. You know what I'm talking about? She didn't even know it. She's just there because because the connection that she has with us is so complete, it's not even something that we're, she's aware of at the moment, but I'm there. God's connection to us is this way. Um, I've been talking about trusting God when life is a mess, right? And I said last week, I promised, I think, last week that that was the last week we were going to talk about it, and I lied. So <laughs> there you go. Um, we're going to talk about it one more week because I, I realized I missed like probably the most important point of the conversation. And that's the degree of our dependence on God. Um, again, whether we know it or not. Um, find uh, Hebrews. It's more toward the back of the Bible. Um, I don't have slides because I did not depend on the projector. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Those of you who were with us last week will be able to understand. Like, it was a, a train wreck. We couldn't get anything to work. And I, I got the thing working at about 10 o'clock last night. And I came in thinking, well, we'll see. And so it worked fine. We were just missing one verse from that one song. <laughs> What's going on um, in Hebrews? You're, you're going to be in chapter 11, by the way. Um, Hebrews is probably one of the heaviest books in the Bible. Theologically, it's a very challenging text. Okay, um, We're only going to be focusing on a chunk of it here because doing the whole thing is like a six-month sermon series, and I don't want to do that today. Um, in chapter 11, um, the author, probably Paul, right, starts talking about these folks who are heroes of the faith. These are folks that trusted God, um, trusted God in, in difficulty, in various circumstances, and, and God, it worked out the way it worked out, right? It worked out very well. And God, like Paul points to these people, this is like the hall of fame of faith, right? You ever been to a, in, in South Bend, uh, Indiana, where we moved from, they had the college football hall of fame. And, and I went out there a couple times and you could walk through and you could see these pictures and these videos of 
because it's in South Bend near Notre Dame. Of course, you had like Newt Rockney who invented the forward pass, I guess. And they got video, grainy video of him doing things. And, you know, you can watch these little videos of these different college kids earning the Heisman Trophy and um, a replica of the Heisman Trophy and all of this other stuff, right? Like it's the Hall of Fame. And, and that's what this is, right? Chapter 11, Hall of Fame of Faith. And it, it starts with Cain, or it starts with Abel, not Cain. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's a miss. Um, <laughs> Cain and Abel, you know, were, were children of Adam and Eve. And, and they make offering to God, and, and God picks Abel's offering, but rejects Cain's offering. And the writer here says, hey, why did why God appreciate Abel's offering? Well, Abel made his in faith. Because Abel acted in faith, God recognized that and he was all about it, right? Like faith is what made that something impressive. Um, it wasn't the offering itself. It was the faith that he came to it with. Um, there's the story of Noah. Who, Noah who literally, I mean, this is a guy who builds a boat in a desert. <laughs> and, and folks probably made fun of him, right? Folks probably thought he was a loon. Um, and that's until the rain started. And they were like, oh my gosh. We should have built a boat. Um, Noah did this on faith, right? He did this not knowing for sure that anything was going to happen, but he trusted that God was going to come through on what he said. Um, as we're talking about it, you'll notice a pattern here, right? Faith is not knowing for sure, but trusting that God's going to follow through on his promises, right? And so Noah... He literally trusts that God's going to save him from this flood. God warns him. He trusts God's going to save him, and God does save him. Um, Abraham. Abraham is like 90 when God shows up. He is old, and God says, you are going to have a son. And his wife is about 90 as well. And he says, okay, we're going to have a son. And God says, just trust me. Go where I'm telling you to go. And they go. And, and eventually they have a child. It wasn't the next day. Anybody know how long it was? Mark, raised your hand, really? It was, I think it was 10, wasn't it? It was 10. 10 years they waited. So they're 100, and they have their child. At 90, I would have been questioning. You know what I mean? 90. But at 100, they have this son. Um, and, and what God had promised, actually, which is really impressive, God says to Abraham, he says, listen, if you have this son, you do what I'm telling you, I'm going to give you this son, and your son will be the beginning of a line that there'll be so many descendants, it'll be more than the grains of sand on the beach, right? That's all the Jewish folks. Everybody sort of aware of that? Abraham's the great, 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 great granddad of all Jewish people. Um, and God fulfills his promise. Did Abraham get to see that promise fulfilled? Not at all, right? Um, in addition, by the way, kind of an interesting little bit here, God says to Abraham, through your descendant, in the singular, through your descendant, the whole world will be blessed. He's talking about Jesus. It's another promise that Abraham trusts. This is faith. This is why Abraham's in the hall of fame of faith, right? He didn't hit more home runs than Babe Ruth. He trusted God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. It was credited to him as a great thing. Um, because he believed God would come through. I mean, and, and that's not an easy thing to believe sometimes, right? How many of you guys have been sitting in a mess, right? Like the family's a disaster. The job is a disaster. The, <laughs> your life is a disaster. Everything is like falling apart. 
And there's this moment where you kind of say, oh man, this is, this is awful. And, and you have to make this choice to trust God. Um, God's going to come through and take care of me. How easy is that? It ain't, right? I mean, that's tough. It's just tough. But faith, if faith were easy, wouldn't really be faith, would it? Um, so all through chapter 11, I recommend you read it on your own. It's a very good book. Um, but all through chapter 11, um, we see all of this description of all of these people who are in the Hall of Fame. And right in the middle, this is verse 6, 11, 6. Um, and without faith, it is impossible to please him, meaning God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Meaning, if you're going to make God happy, you're going to be right with God, begins with faith, right? If to believe he exists, which is a big one these days, right? A lot of folks question this one. And after believing that he exists, you have to believe he's going to come through, um, which is hard. You look around the world and there are people starving, and there are people with leprosy, and there are people being, you know, killed in Iran, like tortured to death and stuff like that, like Christians who are being persecuted. It's hard to back up and say, oh, well, you know, God's going to come through. Um, it's even tougher when you're on the receiving end of it. Um, I've had a number of conversations in the last few weeks. This is a rough time, time for this town, right? It's a bad couple weeks, isn't it? How many of y'all lost somebody you really loved recently? Somebody who had touched your life? That's crummy. It's hard to trust God in those moments. It's just tough. It's hard to back up and say in this mess, God's going to take care of it. But it's a choice we make in the end, right? Um, before we had Abby, we, Jess and I were, were pregnant, and we lost our, our first pregnancy. Worst experience of my life. I, I, I didn't want to get up in the morning after that. I didn't want to do anything, right? Like, I, I sort of wanted to not be. You know what I mean? And, and I talked to a friend of mine, a minister, who was a good friend of mine, and he, he told me about losing his daughter. And, and he said to me, he said, you know, it was in that moment that I had to make a choice. I could be mad at God, or I could, I could choose to throw myself into this. Because after my daughter was gone, I needed heaven to exist. Right? Because that's where I'm going to see her again. So you either believe it or you don't in those moments. And it's a choice. Faith is tough. Um, we're going to pick up in 37, which is sort of the focus of what we're going to be talking about. Um, Paul, or Paul is writing here. He's talking about um, he's talking about different folks like the prophets and the people who've been persecuted. He says uh, they were stoned. They were they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, being poor and afflicted and ill-treated. These were men that the world was not worthy of, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us and that, apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Okay, the reason I'm starting here is, first off, anybody ever said to you, like, if you have enough faith, God will fix this? Um, there's a guy on this list. Isaiah, right? Isaiah, longest book, or longest prophetic book in the Old Testament. Isaiah is like the big guy for faith. His life ends when the king at the time dragged him out, put him inside of a log, and sawed him physically in half. Was that because he didn't have enough faith? <laughs> kind of doubt it, right? 
Faith isn't a guarantee that things are going to work out the way you want them to. Right now. Faith is trusting that in the long run, God's going to come through on his promises. The promise that God came through with for like Isaiah. If you read Isaiah, jump to 54. You don't have to do that right now. When you go home, read 54. Um, It's one of the, I think it's 54. If I got that wrong, it's in the 50s. Um, Best, best description of the life of Jesus from the Old Testament. And you can actually read it to somebody who doesn't know any better and say, who do you think this is about? It's out of the Bible. And say, well, that's about Jesus. It's in the New Testament, right? No, it's in the Old Testament. But it reads like it's right about Jesus right then. Because Isaiah had a promise that was given to him. If the way God had fulfilled the promise was have him just die of natural causes in a comfortable place, would that be a better trade than Jesus showing up and dying for Isaiah's sins? Not really. Sometimes God fulfills his promises in ways that we don't expect. And sometimes we don't see the end of it, at least for those guys. For us, we see Jesus. That's a huge blessing. It's something that they wanted, we got. Everybody with me? Um, He goes, hold on, let me back up before I go jumping ahead here. Um, What God provides for us, ultimately, the big promise, the promise to Abraham, right? God will bless the world through your descendant, that's Jesus. Um, The salvation that Noah receives, that's an image of Christ coming. Because those of us who are in Christ are saved. We're saved from disaster. We're saved from death. We're saved from from punishment for our wickedness, right? And we all do wicked stuff. Um, But it's Jesus that saves us from it. Um, So moving on, in, in 12, we have, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses around us. Now, we're going to pause here. Cloud of witnesses. He's starting off with the Hall of Fame, right? So, like, there are two things he's talking about. First off, he's talking about the Hall of Fame. He says, listen, if you want to do well, you want to do well, remember, these guys did it first. Um, When you're a little boy and you're thinking about, um, you're thinking about, about being a major league baseball player, right? You don't, you don't sit down and think of the nobody that made it through, like, triple A ball and got kicked out, right? You, you don't think of the guys like, like the Chicago Black Sox who were kicked out of the game and none of them made it into the Hall of Fame because they took a bride to throw the uh, World Series. You don't think about those guys. You think about Babe Ruth, right? You think about, you think about um, I don't know, I don't follow baseball. That was a terrible example. <laughs> who? Ryan Wilson. Ryan Wilson. You don't think about the Chicago Cubs. You think about the New York Yankees, right? Guys who win the World Series. I'm from Chicago, so it's... <laughs> They're not a team. <laughs> Sometimes my uncle listens to these sermons. I really hope he listens to it just for that, because he's a Sox fan. That's a running family thing. Um, when I, if I was, if I w- wanted to become a boxer, I wouldn't think of um, guys who are terrible. I'd think of you know Sugar Ray Leonard, right, or Smoking Joe Frazier. If I want to be a professional singer, I wouldn't think of you know Justin Bieber or something like that. I think of Johnny Cash. <laughs> I would think of. I would think of, <laughs> I would think of Elvis, right? I would think of, I, I, you think of greats when you desire to be something great. You look to the Hall of Fame when you look for folks you want to be like, right? Um, why? Because these people inspire us. Because they did it. Um, so he ends this chapter. He says, listen, we're surrounded by these guys. When you face difficulty, these guys did it first, and they did it better. <laughs> and so if you're going to model yourself, remember, These folks did it. And, of course, the best model of that, which isn't mentioned in this chapter, right, is Jesus himself. Um, Earlier in the book, it says that Jesus faced 
every temptation that we can possibly face. And he faced it well. Um, and that he understands us because of it. And one of the things he provides for us is an example. He's hungry and he didn't like, like disobey God. He was, he was tempted and he didn't fail. Um, so we have that. He also went through difficulty. The cross was a pretty tough day, right? Um, he, he was literally stripped naked and hung in front of a crowd of people nailed to a piece of wood. Like, like humiliation and, and abuse and all of this. This, like he's like the king daddy of the hall of fame. Right? He'll be the Tiger Woods of spirituality, except with all that, like, weird, without all that weird, um, scandal stuff. Bad example. <laughs> Can't talk about the, anyway. <laughs> um, so this is our Hall of Fame. The next place we find a cloud of witnesses is right here. I mean, not like right here, but right here for y'all. Um, part of the reason we're encouraged to stand in a body of believers is the body of believers encourages us. Um, how many of y'all have had a crummy time and turned and talked to somebody in this room and it made it better? I know a couple of you. I've done it already. I mean, and I've only been here three months. Part of the cloud of witnesses we have is our team, right? The folks around us. Um, these folks are here to pick us up when life is crummy. Um, fact of the matter is, like, you know, Babe Ruth... More home runs than anyone else at the time. He hit the ball so far that it was almost silly, right? Like, like he was a name unto himself. Also held the strikeout record for quite a while. He might still hold it, actually. Um, one of the most striking outest players of them all, right? Surrounded by a team that picked him up on the other side. That's the reality of it. God provides us family in Christ to pick us up. So when you face difficulty, our cloud of witnesses, right? It's us. And it's them. So we look to the Hall of Fame and we look around us. These folks are missing. You ain't going to get that. By the way, there's another end of that because it cuts both ways, right? Um, if the guy next to you is having a crummy time, whose job is it to pick him up? Go ahead and point. <laughs> oh, John. I was going to point at Larry, but... <laughs> or actually, it's... Jim. So, you know, as he starts out, he says, so we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. And as we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, we have support. We have strength that comes out of this. We have examples. We have folks that are going to walk with us. Then he goes on. He says, let us lay aside every encumbrance. Um, I I like... um, certain sports, right? I don't like competitive sports. I like sports that are like endurance sports, which I guess can be competitive. Um, any of you guys ever watch uh, like, like competitive bicycling? You know what I'm talking about? Like people ride bicycles and they race. It's just me. I'm in the wrong part of the world, aren't I? <laughs> um, people spend thousands of dollars losing ounces off of their bicycles. I mean, this is true today. If you walk into a bicycle shop, you can pick up a, a cage to hold a water bottle, right? An aluminum cage will cost you around 10 bucks. For $80, you can get a carbon fiber one that weighs three ounces less. Three, right? Three. Um, the difference between, I have, a, I have a fairly expensive bicycle that I ride, right? The difference between my fairly expensive bicycle and a $5,000 bicycle is around four pounds. Why? Because when you're on the bicycle and you're trying to go a long way really fast, is extra weight going to help? 
Not at all. Why? Because extra weight is encumbrance. Um, when you watch the Olympics, you probably notice that very few of the Olympic racers wore sweatsuits. Right? And none of them had an extra 30 pounds of weight dragging behind them, right? Because that's encumbrance. It's weight. Everything you run carrying goes with you. And so he says, listen, put off your encumbrance as you run forward. What are our encumbrances? Well, um, doubt might be an encumbrance, right? If faith is what's carrying me through, doubt's probably going to get in the way. Um, there's another, there are a handful of these, actually. I've got a, I've got a list. Um, the idea that I have to work my way to be accepted by God, that's a weight that we carry sometimes. Anybody done this? Like where you think, man, I just got to try harder. And when it comes time that life starts to get crummy and difficult, instead of saying, well, um, I should trust God, he'll take care of me, you think, well, God must be punishing me for something what I do wrong. Or, you know, wow, God would love me if I was more like, you know, or if I didn't. No, God loves us despite the fact that we're sinners. The encumbrance, one of the big encumbrances we have is this idea that we have to earn it. You don't earn it. Salvation comes through faith. God loves us as sinners. He loves us no matter what. So the idea that the next one is our own will. <laughs> I, I, I love walking with my daughter, Abigail, right? You hold her hand. And about half the time when you're walking, holding her hand, she's fussing because she doesn't want to hold your hand, right? And you'll try to walk in a straight line and she sees something over here that she wants to go that way. Right, And then sometimes she runs in front of me and wants to be picked up because she doesn't want to walk. It takes about ten times longer to walk anywhere with her because she doesn't want to go the way I want to go. Um, she doesn't want to submit to my will regarding where we're going. And oftentimes we do this with God, right? Oftentimes God says, okay, this is the plan. This is the path. This is where you're going. And we say, yeah, but I'd really like you know, a 60-inch television. I'd really like a brand new truck. You know, I know my money's supposed to be used in a certain glorifying way, but man, I need this, right? I, to put it a little more negative and a little darker, sometimes for minutes, I love my wife. She's the person God gave to me, but that like sweet-looking gal who lives down the road, right? Our eye, or on the internet, apparently. Um, our eyes drag off. And, and, you know, we say, this is what I want for me, and it's not what God wants for us. And that's an encumbrance. It drags us back, right? Um, looking for things that are making me happy rather than the things that God intended to make me happy. This is a fine shade, right? Um, there are some things that make me happy that God ain't down with, right? Um, when I look for things to make me happy that aren't God... Um, it's like trying to fill a hole that you can never fill, right? You know, if God is designed to be at the center of my life and the center of my life is all about my money, eventually that hole ain't going to be filled. It's just reality. And that's a, an encumbrance. It's a weight that drags us down. Um, lastly, as far as things that I picked out as encumbrances, um, is sometimes when we're in difficulty and, like, we start struggling and we start in on the woe is me, we forget to say, God, can you comfort me? Like, we don't look to him to bring us comfort. We look to me, right? Or we look to the people around us. We fail to look to Jesus sometimes. And that's a weight that prevents us from moving forward. Um, so, moving along in the passage, if I can find it again, sorry. Um, all right, so let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. 
Um, real quick on this. How many sins is he talking about? It's not plural. It's one. Well, if the whole chapter is about faith, then what's the sin that's the opposite of faith? It's unbelief. Um, the sin that entangles us in the end, like that keeps us from rising above in faith, is that we don't believe. We don't believe that God can fix this. We don't believe that God can pick us up. We don't believe that even if it doesn't work out our way, that God still got us. Um, we forget that the whole world exists in such a way as to make it possible for me to be here, that God planned that. We forget that God watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without God's will being a part of it. We forget those things. And that unbelief trips us. It's like running with your shoelaces tied together, right? Don't work. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And this is verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our perfecter of our faith who for the for the joy set before him endured the cross um, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of god Um, this is the bottom line of it right what do we have faith in we have faith in jesus Um, i i sin jesus died for that sin i hurt jesus died to redeem the world i'm not as good as i want to be you know what my righteousness is jesus When God looks at me, right, he sees Jesus. When he looked at Jesus on the cross, he saw my wickedness. Like, that's what we have to trust in. God provided for us. And even when it fails, even when it all doesn't work out today, Christ still died for me. And God still loves me to this degree. And he's still taking care of me. And I can have faith. And even if I don't want to get up in the morning, I can get up in the morning and do it, right? Because Jesus died for me. And that becomes a lens through which we see everything. Um, I wake up in the morning, you know, because Abby always wakes up at four, and she's always right there in my arm. And I look at Abby, and I think, man, I love my daughter, right? I love her like I didn't think I could love anything. And then I back up and I say, you know what? That's how God loves me. I get a little image of how Jesus loves me because I'm a child of God. Um, I married Jessica, who's a great wife, even though I pick on her all the time and she picks on me even more, even though I don't deserve it. Um, The lens through which I see my marriage is that um, the church, the church is the bride of Christ. Um, It's a model, like marriage is a model for the relationship that we're supposed to have with God. And so I understand the love I have for my wife, like through the lens of Jesus, Like, this is a lens that applies to everything. And as you proceed, like, all joy, all meaning, all purpose in life comes out of Jesus. And we have faith in that, and it makes, even when stuff falls apart, even when we lost our baby, like our first pregnancy, even when we lost that, I can back up and say, Jesus died to redeem. There is a heaven. Today isn't the end. When I sit in a funeral, I sat in a funeral a few years back for somebody I really loved, and I lost sight of the fact that, This is a person who's going to heaven. And they read a letter that she had written. This is my aunt. They read a letter that she had written, and she said, don't cry for me, I'm in heaven. Get yourself right and join me. We can lose sight in these times. But when we lose sight, we're losing sight of Jesus. And that's something worth having faith in. 
How does this play out? Um, in the 1992, right, there was the Olympic Games. They were in, I think they were in Seoul. Does that sound right? Maybe. Um, in 1992, there was, there was these Olympic Games, and, and there was a fellow named Derek Redman. Anybody knows, know who this guy is? Not a gold medal winner. Not a gold medal winner. He competed in the 88 Olympics and tore an Achilles tendon. Bad injury, right? Didn't think he was coming back. Worked, 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 worked. Made it to the Olympics again, right? The preparation races, like qualifying races. Derek Redmond goes out there, um, and he's at the Olympics. He is doing this, right? Um, and his dad's up in the stands, and he starts running, and he blows everyone away. Comes around the corner into the straightaway, and he is lengths ahead of everyone else. And as he described it later, he heard a pop, right? And that pop was his hamstring. And he, and he was face down in the dirt on the track. That was it, right? And he's laying there, and he thought, I can't not finish. This is the Olympics. And he gets up, and on one foot starts like trying to jump forward to make it to the end. And he falls down again. And the paramedics came out to pick him up, and he chases them off. He says, I'm finishing this race. But he can't even stand up, and he's in unbelievable pain. You can watch this on YouTube. The guy is weeping, not just because of the pain, right, but because he's got a race to finish, and he doesn't know how he's going to do it. Same time, in the top of the stands next to the torch, his dad is watching him. And his dad, as soon as he sees his son hit the ground, he jumps up and starts running down the stairs. And he, like, as the father describes it, he's knocking people over. <laughs> he's rushing to get there. And he goes over the barricade. He doesn't have a pass to be there, mind you. He goes over the barricade and powers through a pair of security guards. And the security guards turn around. They're chasing him as he runs out onto the, onto the, you know, the racetrack. And he picks up his son and says, I'm here, son. And he carries him across the finish line. This is how God reacts when we fall. This is how God reacts when we hurt. This is how God reacts when, when the race isn't going to be ended because we're not strong enough. Because of our own strength, we ain't doing it. He starts out way up on high, right? And he comes down to our level. And he picks us up and he carries us through the finish line. When we have no strength, we keep our eyes on him. And he carries us across that finish line. Faith enables us to do that. It's not something you do on your own. It's something you do because you rely on Jesus who came from on high and carried our sin for us. My challenge for you this week is, as we go out um, is I know this is a tough time for a lot of folks in this town. Look at your heart. Look at your life. Are you focusing on Christ and the difficulty? Are you asking, how can God carry me through this? And if you're not, figure out how to do it. Are you looking at, at people and you're so mad at them that you lost sight of Jesus because you're so mad at these people? Forgive and find Jesus. He'll carry you across the line in the end. It's the only thing worth trusting in the world because it's the only thing that can never go away. We're going to close in prayer. I think we got one more song. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, give us faith to trust in your Son.
Give us faith to keep our eyes on you in difficulty and challenge and in heartache and stress and in those days that it seems like nothing can ever get better. I pray that you would pour your spirit on us in this community, in this town, as we go through this kind of tough time. And I, I pray, Lord, that that this tough time would help us rely on you, that we would cross the finish line of life being carried by you, and that this would be just a step in that process. In Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. Thank you.